1 John 3, verse 16, By this we know love, because He laid down His life for us. And we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has this world's goods, and sees his brother in need, and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. There was a young couple, a couple of high school sweethearts. They were talking one day on the phone when the boy said to his girlfriend, Baby, just to be by your side, I'd swim through shark-infested waters. I'd hike under a blistering sun across a scorching desert. I would hack my way through the thickest jungles. I would brave the attack of vicious animals. I would scale the highest peak and I would descend the steepest slopes. I would sail through the fiercest winds and I'd plunge to the bottom of the deepest ocean. I'd climb on the wings of an eagle and soar through the sky just to be by your side. Baby, I'd do anything just to be with you. And if there's nothing on television today, I might drive over to your house. (laughs) You get the feeling this boy was blowing smoke? Just buttering up his babe? You know, his meager actions betrayed his tall talk. But this also happens to Christians. Our actions can also betray our talk. We claim to know the love of God. We say we love others. We even desire to share God's love with the people around us. But true love is more than words. John explains that real love is exhibited in deed and in truth. This morning... I'm going to help you in every area of your life. Spiritually, domestically, professionally, at home, at church, on the job. In fact, a psychiatrist would charge you big bucks for the assistance I'm about to provide you today. Today you're going to learn how to improve every relationship in your life. Is your marriage on the skids? This morning I'm going to help you turn it around. Maybe you've been running low on patience with a toddler. Well, you need to listen up because this morning I'm going to prescribe the cure for your agitations. Perhaps you're having trouble connecting with a teenager. Hey, here is how to break down walls and open up new lines of communication. Do you have a conflict with a neighbor or a co-worker or a church member? Well, I'm going to explain to you how to overcome friction in your friendships. Hey, today I'm going to tell us how we can win the world for Jesus. Right now, right this second, I'm going to give you the solution to all of these dilemmas plus some. In fact, write it down. Actually, if you got a Bible, it's already written down. Here is some extremely valuable advice. Verse 18. Let us not love in word or in deed, I'm sorry, or in tongue, but in deed... And in truth. Hey, if you want to change your life for the better, then be a better lover. Today's Valentine's Day. And I'm going to talk to you about how to be a better lover. In John 13, verse 35, Jesus told His disciples that the world would know that we're His followers 
by our love for one another. You see, love is the believer's birthmark. Jesus didn't say we'd be distinguished by the Christian t-shirts we wear or the aluminum fish that we tack onto our bumper sticker or the Bible we carry or how many hours we pray or how much scripture we know or, or what we do to serve. No, Jesus said we would catch the eye of this unbelieving world and draw people to himself when we reach out in love to one another. There was a Greek writer named Lucian who lived in the 2nd century A.D. And he wrote of the early church, the church of his day. He said, it is incredible to see the fervor with which the people of that religion help each other in their wants. They spare nothing. Their first legislator, Jesus, has put it in their hearts that they are brethren. Well, Lucian was on the outside of the church looking in. But there was another man named Tertullian who was on the inside of the church looking out. He wrote at the same time, he said, It is our care for the helpless, our practice of loving kindness, that brands us in the eyes of many of our opponents. They say, look at how they love one another. Look at how they are prepared to die for one another. In fact, throughout the history of the church, Christianity has always been marked by love. Love is the hallmark of the Christian faith. Jesus loved us enough to lay down His life for us. Now He wants you and me to love Him enough to lay down our lives for one another. You know, John 3.16 is by far the most famous verse in all of the Bible. It's familiar to believers and unbelievers alike. Signs proclaiming John 3.16, they appear just about anywhere and everywhere. In fact, Tim Tebow writes it on his eye black. Did you know that the day after Tebow wore this verse under his eyes in the national championship game, there were 90,000 hits on Google for John 3.16? Did you know that? Only good thing I can think of about the Florida Gators. People who know nothing else about the Bible can quote John 3.16. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. But today's text, 1 John 3.16, is also a vital verse. In fact, these two verses are so interrelated that it's appropriate they carry the same biblical address, 3.16. John 3.16 says God loves us enough to give His only Son. 1 John 3.16 tells us that since He does, we ought to give ourselves to one another in love. I believe the key to the success in any church is the belief in both 3.16s. Years ago, I, I ran across a list of the best of the worst country western song titles. The best of the worst country western song titles. Here are some of the great loves. On Valentine's Day, here are some of the great love songs of all time right here. I got the hungries for your love and I'm waiting in your welfare line. How about this one? My John Deere was breaking your field while your dear John was breaking my heart. 
My wife ran off with my best friend, and I sure do miss him. Here, here's one of the songs for the teenagers in the crowd. They may put me in prison, but they can't stop my face from breaking out. But, but there's one song title that, that I really love. It grabbed me. It fits the theme of 1 John chapter 3. Here's the lyric. I fell in a pile of you and got love all over me. <laughs> now here's my question. If I fell into a pile of you, would I get love all over me? If a person starved for love, maybe a refugee from a dysfunctional family or maybe someone from an abusive background walked into our church and fell into a pile of us, would he or she walk away covered in love? I hope our church is known for our love for one another. This morning I want to discuss with you how to be a better lover. And I have three points. What love is, how love thinks, and what love does. First, let's understand what love is. Verse 16 tells us, by this we know love. And here's a definition. Because he laid down his life for us. Now if you want to know what true love is, then you need to make a close, careful study of the sacrifice of Jesus. For to behold undiluted love, just look to the cross. The ultimate illustration of real love is our Lord Jesus hanging on that tree. I'm sure Jesus didn't feel like having those spikes driven through his wrists and his feet. It didn't feel comfortable having a crown of thorns pierce his brow. You don't get warm fuzzies from being tortured and executed. But the cross shows me that real love has very little to do with feelings and fuzzies. Love is all about commitment and endurance and sacrifice. Once there was an Eskimo boy. He said to his girlfriend, Sweetheart, I'd push my sled and my dog team a hundred miles through ice and snow just to see you today and tell you I love you. The Eskimo girl responded, Ah, that's a lot of mush. Get it? A lot of mush. You see, love is more than mush. Love is more than emotional mush. It's more than a gush of hormones or a rush of adrenaline. You know, Tina Turner had a hit song in which she wondered, what's love got to do with it? She belittles love as a second-hand emotion. Obviously, poor Tina doesn't know the love of Jesus. For real love is more than a feeling. It's more than an emotion. It is a deep, abiding, caring commitment. I mean, look at Jesus on the cross, and you see love, real love. In fact, you see four traits of real love. You see, first, for love to be meaningful, it has to be voluntary. Understand, it wasn't the Romans that nailed Jesus to the cross, nor was it the jealous Jew, Jewish leaders who engineered his death sentence, nor was it the angry mob who called for the release of Barabbas, nor was it the indifferent governor named Pilate or the high priest named Caiaphas. 
nor even was it the legionnaire who held in his hand the hammer and the nails. No, Jesus had submitted himself to the will of God, and he gave his body freely as a sacrifice. He could have called 10,000 angels to his rescue, but he chose not to. Jesus didn't have his life taken from him. He offered it willingly. True love is always voluntary. It reminds me of the engaged couple who came to the pastor for premarital counseling. And as they filled out the questionnaire, they got to the line that asked, Are you entering this marriage of your own free will? Well, that's when the boy sort of stalled out. He just he couldn't write. He, he didn't know what to write. And after a few seconds, his girlfriend turned to him and whispered, Put down yes. I mean, love that's coerced is not love at all. You know, God could have made us relational robots. He could have programmed us with desired responses. Instead, God chose to let us choose. You know, love for God would be pointless if it didn't flow from our hearts. If we didn't desire to love Him. And the same is true for our love for one another. It has to be voluntary. I've heard it said, love never asks how much must I do, but how much may I do. Love comes from the heart. True love is also unselfish. Notice verse 16 says, Jesus laid down His life. You see, love is laying down, not picking up. Love is giving, not just receiving. It's been said, love begins when a person believes another person's needs are as important as his own. Love not only lays down His life, but it lays down its rights and its comforts and its time and its attention, and its energy for that other person. Have you ever spent time in an ICU waiting room at a hospital? You ever been there, spent time there? Though it's usually under sad circumstances, the ICU waiting room marks a marvelous exception to the human nature. In that waiting room, you'll hear comments like, Boy, I hope your husband makes it. Or we're praying that your son will walk again. Or I'd give anything if I could swap places with that little girl. I mean, nobody worries about themselves in the ICU waiting room. They care about the patients and each other. No one is rude. Everyone is thinking of the other person. In the intensive care waiting room, racial and class distinctions melt away. A person is a father first, a black man or a white man second. The roofer loves his wife as much as the college professor loves his wife. Everyone who waits in that room is pulling for everyone else. Folks in the ICU waiting room are on the same team. And my prayer for our church is that we develop the same sense of community and compassion and caring for one another that you find in an ICU waiting room. For in reality, life is a waiting room. We're all waiting on Jesus to return, and we're pulling for each other. We're hoping that the sick and the injured and the hurting around us make it. We want each other to make it. Love cares about other people. Real love is always unselfish. And real love is also sacrificial. You know, we often say God's grace is free, but it's not cheap. It's true. Love costs Jesus his life. The cross reveals that love 
is costly. Once a daughter came to her mom for some advice. This girl's boyfriend was so determined to make a good impression that, that he kept buying her expensive presents, spending lots and lots of money. Now this boy, he was still in school. He drew a modest salary. And this girl was concerned that he was spending way too much money. He was spending money beyond his means. And so she came to her mother and she said, Mom, what can I do to stop Jim from spending so much money on me? And without any hesitation at all, her mom replied, Marry him? <laughs> that stops it right there. Just marry him. Boy, it's sad that, that marriages, that after marriage, both spouses, the husband and the wife, tend to stop making sacrifices for each other. God, sacrifice is what love is all about. It reminds me of the story of, of King David. One day, in a moment of, of, of really just whimsical reflection, nostalgia, he was thinking and he said, he said, oh, that someone would give me a drink of water from that well in Bethlehem. And you see, Bethlehem was David's hometown. But at the time, it was occupied by the hated Philistines. David and his men, they were camping miles away. There was plenty of water in David's camp. It wasn't really a serious request at all. David was just sort of day daydreaming, you know, oh, what, what a glass of water from that well would taste like. But three of his men, they heard him. And wanting to show their leader how much they loved him, they traveled to Bethlehem. And they slipped behind enemy lines. And they eluded the guards. And they drew water from the well. And then they brought it back to David for a drink. David poured it out on the ground. He felt unworthy of such amazing love. You see, true love operates on a strange logic. It takes risks. It buys gifts it can't afford. And it puts out effort even when it's tired. And it takes the call even when it's inconvenient. I mean, love takes risks. It spares no expense. It loves extravagance. Real love is willing to make a sacrifice. Genuine love is always costly. It's a sacrificial love. And true love is also unconditional. Romans 5 verse 8 tells us, But God demonstrated His own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Notice this. Jesus went to the cross long before you and I decided we'd even give Him the time of day. He went to the cross with you in mind and with me in mind. Jesus made the first move. He died for you even while you were still a sinner. Do you remember way back in kindergarten when you, you know, you sort of liked somebody of the opposite sex, but, but before you told them, before you spilt the beans, you'd slip them a little note. Do you like me? Check yes, no, or maybe. <laughs> you, you, you wanted... You wanted to know where they stood before you kind of told them where you stood. You know, that's, that's kind of how it works. But real love is unconditional. It doesn't wait to be wanted. It just jumps right out there. It takes the initiative. It's the first person to make the move. Real love is unconditional. Robertson McQuilkin was the president of Columbia Bible College when his wife came down of Alzheimer's. When Muriel's disease progressed, McQuilkin gave up his prestigious position in order to stay at home 
and take care of his wife himself. It was an extraordinary example of love. And I read where McQuilkin made this comment. Love is said to evaporate if the relationship is not mutual. If it's not physical. If the other person doesn't communicate. Or if one party doesn't carry his or her share of the load. But when I hear the litany of essentials for a happy marriage, I count off what my beloved can no longer contribute. And then I contemplate how truly mysterious my love for her is. You see, McQuilkin's love for his wife was unconditional. And real love always is. It's love with no strings attached. Well, this is what love is. Voluntary, unselfish, sacrificial, unconditional. Is your life, is our church marked by this kind of love? Well, if not, why not? But I want you to notice too how love thinks. Read the last half here, verse 16. We're told, and we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. In other words, since Jesus laid down His life for me, I show my love for Him by laying down my life for other people. A Christian's love is always tied to the cross. The cross is where love starts. You see, I love you because you first loved me. And the more I receive of Jesus' love for me, the more love I'll have to give to you. This is how love thinks. You know, usually a shadow casts a darkness. It blocks out the light. But there is one shadow that illuminates. It is the shadow of the cross. For in the shadow of Jesus' sacrifice, light pours into my world. The issues of my life become clearer. In the shadow of the cross, I see myself. The depth of the corruption that warranted such a hideous punishment. And yet in the shadow of the cross, I can calculate the value I've obtained. If such a heavy price was paid for me, I must be loved. I must be wanted. At the cross, I feel the love of God. You see, love thinks in light of the cross. Call it cross-think. Do you cross-think? You see, if Jesus can go to the cross for me, then I can come home late from work, totally exhausted, and still have time to toss the ball with my kids out in the front yard. If Jesus went to the cross for me, then I can cook a pan of lasagna for that needy neighbor. If Jesus went to the cross for me, then I can sacrifice a little spending money to help a person who just lost his job. If Jesus went to the cross for me, then I can go out of my way to spend time with a teenager that nobody else cares about. Hey, when you think of the cross, all things become possible. Do you cross think? I mean, if Jesus went to the cross for you, then you can even vacuum the living room floor for your wife this afternoon. You can. And I suppose I could too. I guess I can. But I mean, this is how love thinks. It cross-thinks. But in verses 17 and 18, we're told what love does. Whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? Notice this now. 
Love does three things. Sees needs, feels needs, and meets needs. First, love sees needs. You see, real love has eyes. Jesus tells us whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need. Selfishness has a mouth. Eats stuff up. It gobbles. Envy has an ear. Oh, it loves to hear the the latest juicy gossip. Pride has a nose. It walks around with it stuck straight up in the air. But love has a set of eyes that enable us to see the needs around us. Love looks. And hey, this was Jesus. I mean, one of the most amazing qualities of our Lord is he possessed this uncanny ability to pick needy people out of a crowd. I mean, he saw Zacchaeus way up there in the sycamore tree, called him down. Jesus was passing through a crowd in Capernaum. People were pressing in on him when suddenly he stopped. A needy person had touched him in faith. He knew. John 9 verse 1 tells us, As Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth. Folks walked by this beggar every day, several times a day, but nobody saw him. I mean, everybody looked right at him, but nobody saw him. But Jesus never passed anywhere that he wasn't looking for needs to meet. Jesus saw this blind man. He cared about him, and he later restored his vision. It proves that love has eyes. Love sees what others miss. How many blind men and women do we pass by? Yet don't we possess the light of God's word that can open their spiritual eyes? How many sinners like Zacchaeus have we left up a tree or out on a limb because we passed by them without even knowing that they were close by? Love opens our eyes to the needs of the people around us. And my, so many people today are in desperate situations. And not just economically, but morally and spiritually and emotionally and relationally. You know, the word lost has never been more appropriate to describe people without Jesus than it is today. There is a whole generation today in crisis. How many people have we allowed to slip through the cracks or left up a tree? One Sunday morning, a note was dropped in the offering box. The guys brought it to me after the service. There was no name on the note. It was just an envelope, and on, but on the flap of the envelope were written these words. Pray for me. I desperately want to end my life. I am so unhappy. Thank you. Now I read that note and it grieved me to think that I could have passed by that person that morning and failed to see that need. It's scary to me that we could have been sitting next to that person and yet been oblivious to what they were going through and the desperate need that they possessed that we could have not seen. Guys, it is love that opens our eyes and makes us see. And here's what's even scarier. This can happen to you under your own roof. What about the needs in your own home? In the life of your spouse? Or in the heart and mind of your kids? While passing in and out of our own house, 
we can become blind to the needs within our own families. You know, it's amazing to me. I have no problem discerning when the grass needs to be mowed. And as long as I'm breathing properly, my nose isn't stopped up, I usually can tell when the garbage should go out. But why am I so slow in recognizing when my wife and kids are suffering emotionally or when they're on the edge spiritually? God wants us to live life with our eyes wide open. Love sees needs. But what else does love do? Love feels needs. You see, love doesn't simply meet out needs in cold, calculated, assembly line fashion. Love is tender. Now, I love what we're doing in Haiti. We're bringing relief to needy people. But when I see the, the pallets, you know, drop out of the helicopters and land on the ground, and then all these needy people come running up and they're grabbing stuff off of the pallets and they're taking it home, that, that's meeting one need, but it's leaving so many needs unmet and untouched. Where's the compassion in that? Where's the empathy in that? You know, I not only want to feed that man's stomach, but I also want to speak to that man's soul. I not only want to clothe his body, I want to warm his spirit. I want to minister to the whole of that man. You know, love doesn't just meet out needs in cold fashion. Love feels. Love cares. Love feels a person's needs. Look again at verse 17. We're told, whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need, and catch this, and shuts up his heart from him. How does the love of God abide in him? Implied is that God's love is going to prohibit a shut heart. As long as the love of God abides in me, it keeps prying my heart open. It doesn't let me shut my heart. It doesn't let me close my heart. God's love keeps my heart open. I'll not only see the needs, but I'll stay empathetic toward those needs. Now, I may not always be able to meet a need. In fact, God may even lead me not to meet certain needs. But God never wants me to shut up my heart to a need. For when I turn a cold shoulder, or when I stonewall a legitimate need, or if I ever stop caring for the hurting person, I'll eventually stop feeling altogether. And if I stop feeling, I'll stop seeing. And if I stop seeing, I'll end up like the throngs of folks who go through this life with their heads down and their eyes closed. And worse, their hearts hard, caring about only three people, me, myself, and I. I don't want to be like that. I don't want to die an old, bitter man. Love feels needs. I ran across a statement that speaks volumes. It, it talks about true friendship. It says, from now on, there will be such a oneness between us that when one weeps, the other will taste salt. Real love tastes the salt of the person who weeps. Once a mentally impaired child was playing with the bottles stacked on the pharmacy shelf. The store manager saw him. He rushed over and scolded him. Young man, put those bottles down this instant. The little boy, though, was unmoved. He continued to play with the bottles. About that time, his big sister appeared. She surmised the situation. She walked over to her autistic brother, and she whispered in his ear. And immediately, the boy put the bottles back in their place. And that's when she told the manager, she said, My brother, he doesn't understand when you talk to him in a mean way. 
I just love it into him. True love never ignores the truth, but neither does it beat a person over the head with the truth. Real love loves it into them. It feels. It empathizes. It cares. Well, finally, love meets needs, sees needs, feels needs, and meets needs. John says it so well, verse 18, My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. You see, real love isn't just content to talk about what it'll do. It just does. It's always ready to roll up its shirt sleeves and jump into action. Love always comes with elbow grease and giddy up. Hey, John says, Whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? If I've got the goods and you've got a need, then love's first impulse will always be to meet that need. The desire will be to do something. Now, there have been times when I was ready to give, but God shut up my wallet or he shut down the opportunity for some reason. There have been times when I've wanted to give and God has said no to that impulse. Sometimes our attempts to help can make matters worse. This is why we need wisdom. God might say no, but there should never be a time when I say no and I shut up my heart to the need at hand. If I got the goods and you got the need, then God wants me to want to meet your need. Once there was an exhausted dad, he came home on a Friday and he collapsed in the lazy boy. Do you know this guy, by the way, guys, fellas, you know this exhausted dad? Comes home on a Friday, just wants to unwind, just wants to relax a little bit. Hey, not long, just give me two minutes here of R&R when up walked his little boy. His son just stood there and looked at his pooped out dad. He said, Daddy, I love you. And from behind the newspaper, his father muttered, I love you too, son. The little guy said it again. Daddy, I love you. This time, Dad reached his hand from around the paper, patted his son on the head, said, Son, I love you too. Well, finally, the little boy, he backed up to get a running start, and then he came flying toward his dad, and he just dove right in his dad's lap, crumpling up the newspaper, ripping it in two, almost knocking his dad out of the chair. Well, after regaining his balance, his dad turned to him and he said, Son, why in the world did you do that? And that's when the little boy answered, Daddy, I love you so much, I just had to do something about it. <laughs> and this is true of real love. When love sees a need, it has to do something about it. For love meets needs. Now realize when I say, Love meets needs. Love doesn't just do what's convenient or comfortable for me. Love doesn't work loved ones into my schedule. It works my schedule around the loved ones. Real love tries to love in the way that a person wants or needs to be loved. Not in a way that's convenient for me to love them. It does me no good to feed a man that needs shelter or to find shelter for a man who needs food. 
Love is felt strongest when it's aimed at a need. You see, some men like working around the house. And they think they're telling their wife that they love her by working around the house. Maybe you are, but maybe you're not. Instead of another trip down to Home Depot, guys, perhaps she would prefer something from the florist. She wants to know you treasure her, not just the house. And ladies, can I tell you, you can purchase your husband a whole greenhouse full of flowers. But speaking on behalf of most of the husbands here today, there's a much better way for you to communicate to your husband that you love him. Let you figure that out. You see, sometimes we try to show love, but the other person doesn't perceive it as such because we misapply our efforts. Our sacrifice goes wasted. Your act of love is irrelevant if it doesn't scratch the itch of the person you love. Real love expresses itself according to their need, not my convenience. There's a Christian song that contains the following line. If you want to lead me to Jesus, you better find another way. For your life is speaking so loud, I can't hear a word that you say. I hope that's never said about me. That my actions have betrayed my words. What a sad indictment that would be. You know, it's so easy to talk about love. All the while there's a harshness in your voice or a judgmental look on your face or a stern pounding in your step. Jesus loves us, but are we really trying to love each other? Missionary Stanley Munaham writes, Love talked about is easily turned aside, but love demonstrated is irresistible. What our world needs today, what it needs most is love. But not in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Our loveless world needs to see love in action. So let's start to cross-think. Let's look to Jesus. He laid down His life for us. Therefore, we can begin to lay down our lives for each other. And let's see needs. Let's feel needs. Let's begin to meet needs. Hey, you can have a better life by being a better lover.